Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. So I decided to do that. Yesterday, I, I got a request from somebody. I don't even know who it was. They, they stayed anonymous. I don't know if it was a person here or not, but asked if I would speak the language a little bit that I have referred to a lot and that people use in our neck of the woods. So I just said that, that that's what happened, <clears throat> in case you wondered. I'm going to... Uh, That's one of the hazards of. <laughs> Probably my, I don't know, my wife messaging me or not. I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> we prayed already, and I agree with that prayer. I agree with those prayers. I agree with um, the singing. Thanks for that. And. We sing, we sing some powerful things. We sing things that help us remember uh, rich truths. So tonight, if I come at things, if, if some of what I say comes at it from a slightly different angle, again, I urge you, let's just add to our faith. Let's add to our wisdom, not compare and, and not try to have ideas compete with each other unless they have to. Sometimes they do. But uh, we're, uh, by the way, the timing can start now if somebody's pushing the timer button, but, because actually I'm still introducing, so don't start it yet. Um, we're going to go back to the, the mission, the idea of why there's a mission, why God is on a mission, and how we represent that, what is the good news uh, this is not as simple, to me it's not quite as simple a question as I used to think it is, and I've been telling you why I think that to some degree. And I just want to keep your thinking going. I even thought, I didn't ask Matt if I'm allowed to do this or if you want to do this, but if if some of you want to hang around and have a chat session after, especially about some of the cautions that I've mentioned about eternal punishment, sometimes that kind of stirs a lot. I, I, I mentioned things that I didn't finish, and I won't finish even if we sit and talk about it, but if you, if you have particular questions about uh, what I think about that, uh, I'll just say in, in, in real short terms that there are two things that I think are that we ought to think more carefully about in relation to that. And then I'm going to leave it alone for, for most of the time tonight. But uh, one is that we actually don't know very much. We don't know as much as we think we do, uh, some, as people have said we do, about what eternal punishment looks like. We don't know very much about the extent of it or the degrees of it. We don't know for sure how to talk about that. I said last night, and if you caught it, that I'm confident 
but I may be wrong. I may be proven wrong someday, but I'm confident that there are degrees of punishment and degrees of reward because of how the scriptures talk about that, uh, repeatedly talking about that it's according to deeds, and, and repeatedly that God is a just God. There's that. And so I just think with those, with those uncertainties that it's kind of, uh, I feel it's unfortunate if we build the, the, impeta, the, the impact of our message or warning on details that we're not so sure about. There, and tonight we're going to hopefully uh, be inspired by what the scriptures say and what we can learn about what is the good news and how do we talk about that. I recently, uh, in my reading, uh, uh, found this idea. So it's not original with me, but I encourage you to think about this. I don't know if you have any way of preserving this other than taking a, a picture of it or thinking, just pick, thinking about it. But the gospel is not the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? The gospel is the message that leads us to ask that question. Let me illustrate from Scripture, and I'm not going to read Peter's sermon from the day of Pentecost, but Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, if you will read it, he spent a long time declaring who this Christ is and how it fits into history, how it fits into Israel's history, uh, how Jesus fits, how he fulfills who he is, the Son of God, the very Son of God. He was crucified and raised to death. His message led the people to say, wow, what do we need to do? Wow, what do, I, what do we do to be saved? And Peter's answer is a continuation of the message, but it's not the gospel. His answer is repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the, 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 the clarifying idea here is that Peter's answer is not the gospel, and we have so often we have so often called that the gospel, the answer to that. It's, it's our response to the gospel, but the message is really important. But let's, you, you think about that and, and see where it goes. Another, I have a bunch of questions tonight before we get there. I've talked to a lot of different people in a lot of different situations, uh, both uh, uh, on this continent and other continents, and uh, I've had I've been to the African continent five times, which doesn't make me anything. It's just that I don't only have experience in Northwestern Ontario. I have a little bit of of connection with people in other places too, and so I've seen a variety of situations that people are in, and 
I've wondered, as you may have wondered, does the message, does the gospel, does the good news sound differently? Do we, do we, does it need to be customized for people? If so, how? Or if so, what parts? And I'm not going to answer all of that tonight. We can't. But I just want you to think about that. So how does it shape our, how does it shape our version, the way we talk about the message of the cross or the who Jesus Christ is when we identify with a person's story? Uh, I left the word with out there. It should say when we identify a, a person's story or with a person's story. Right in this room, we have a, a variety of stories. We have a variety of of ways that we've come to the point or to, to any point in life where we consider who Jesus Christ is and the message of who Jesus Christ is. And then you have, uh, you have the, the way the church has related to people. Uh, does that require a, a customized message? For example, and tomorrow morning I'm going to talk a lot more in depth about this, but, but the church and the immigrants to this, to this continent the Europeans, have had a, a, a really often horrible history with the indigenous people who were here, with the first peoples of this nation and of Canada as well. And so if the good news is just wrapped in the same package, if it, if it has the same paper on the gift, for everybody, does it does does it connect? And if if not, what do we what do we need to do about that? Um, it, when I was beginning and naive, I, I didn't think about that very much. Truth is truth. We think uh, the, the 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 truth about who Jesus is is the same for all people, and there's truth in that. There's that's true, but. For one thing, we customize the message by using the language of the people who we're going to. That's one way of customizing it, because you can't, you can't say it exactly the same even in the Greek language that it was first written down in. You can't say it the same as we do in English. You can't say it the same as we do in German. You can't say it the same way as we do in Ojibwe. It just isn't exactly the same. So how much does that affect it? And then um, think of the difference between a satisfied person and a person in distress. How does the gospel sound? Or how does the gospel, what's the gospel message? What's the good news for the Central Ohio uh, farmer or successful business person whose life is really working well as compared to the the person in central ohio whose life is a mess and whose heart and soul are in distress because life is such a mess is the gospel message exactly the same for in, in both cases? Um, obviously, we we need to be a little bit 
we need to be thinking about that. And I, I know you, I know you instinctively know that we talk differently depending on where a person is and, and what their story is. And not only do we talk differently, how does the gospel's message, how is it perceived by people? We've heard a lot about how people in times of, of severe distress or hardship, how they've, how they've created songs like the spirituals that came out of the slave era in the United States. Uh, some of those songs reflect their perception of the gospel, their perception of, of, of what it means to, to have good news. And so there's a lot of things like that that impact us. Is the gospel the life we long for? Sometimes we, we, sometimes we say, no, the gospel actually is the message of the cross, of hardship, of, of suffering, and that's true. Is the gospel also the life we long for? This old couple um, is a, uh, well, they're long gone already, but I used to sit with them sometimes, and they're, they're satisfied where they are. They're sitting there. There's not a lot of stress. Um, you may or may not guess what that, what that saucepan or kettle is for there. And the fact that this table is both their cupboard and their table, most of the food they have in the house is sitting right there, and the salt's handy, the sugar's handy, and, and under that cloth thing there, there's some bannock, and in that saucepan, which is something that sits there all day long, is some watered-down tea, black tea, and that's what we drink. So sitting there, visiting, talking, every time you're thirsty, you just reach over and, and take the, that kettle and take a drink, and when it's empty, you go over to the stove where the teapot is that's had the tea steeping in it all the time. You pour some in there, and you add some water to weaken it, and pour in some sugar, and, and away you go. So this picture is just, it, it, it's, it's a satisfied life. Life works that way. And I've thought about it. Is, is the gospel... Uh, a, a strange story is it is, is the, the, the story of life as we long for it. Is, is the gospel salvation now as well as salvation then? What's really interesting to me is that what, what the gospel, salvation now, salvation in this life and in, and in the next, and in eternity is, has some common components. And in a way, one of the attractive things about, about the gospel and our relationship with Jesus Christ is that we, 
we have the opportunity to have what every person longs for. One of those things is to exist in peace with oneself. Everybody wants, everybody wants to be at peace with themselves, whether you know it or not. Everybody wants to live in harmony with others. Everyone wants to have plenty. Well, that means different things to different people, but it, it means a way of being content and satisfied, even as Paul said, when I have lots and when I don't have enough, there's still contentment. So plenty, in the way I'm using it here, means, yeah, we always want plenty, but it also comes with the idea of contentment. We want to experience justice for ourselves and for others. We want to live on without aging. And we want to be delivered from evil. These aren't necessarily in any order. These are things that people desire. And is there anything wrong with us holding out the message of the gospel as the way that we enter into a kingdom where this is real, where we enter into a kingdom where these ideas have possibilities? On the other hand, we're not just forming a product that is sellable or saleable, whatever the right word is. We're not just trying to sell a product. And that's one of the, one of the difficulties with thinking about the advantages. Last night, I was, uh, and the beginning tonight, I'm cautioning you about using the threats or the disadvantages of not receiving the gospel. Tonight, we're kind of focusing on, are there enough advantages? Are there enough, are, is there enough gain that the threats are not really the starting point or the disadvantages or the things lost if we don't accept it? Um, for one thing, we... For one thing, we understand who, who Jesus Christ is. Let me, let me tell you a story again that, that has helped really uh, rethink, helped me rethink the whole idea of salvation now, salvation then, and what people's immediate needs are. One of the, one of the components of, or one of the factors in small communities like the one we lived in for those 13 years is a high rate of addictions uh, to substances, a high rate of, of uh, yeah, un uncontrolled addictions. And we can trace, we can have all kinds of ways of explaining the reasons for that. And it's more than just uh, people are sinful. There's more than a simple answer that people are sinful. There are lots of reasons why people seek to numb their pain and do it in a variety of ways just can't stand to 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 live with their pain and, and there's lots of other things about that but so it wasn't uncommon for people to really feel tired of and and repulsed at their own addictions and their own lifestyle or the trouble they've gotten themselves into 
and it came to the point where people who who spent the weekend inebriated uh, there might be authorities who would take their kids from them and then it takes a a, a, a certain amount of rehabilitation or, or re getting back on track before they're allowed to get their kids back again. So these are, you know, there's, there's, a, there's an example of, of a time when people want help and they want something because life stopped being workable and, and I'm in extreme distress because my kids are gone and I need to get my life back in control. So there's times like that. All I'm, what I'm saying about that is that people, a lot of people tried Jesus. A lot of people at different points in, in life would want, ah, I want to be a Christian. Ah, I want to pray is literally what that means. But, but in, in that language, being a prayer is synonymous with what we say is being a Christian. And being a prayer meant sort of the top of the list was drinking is not a problem right now. Right then, other drugs weren't an issue. They are now, but at that time, other drugs were not available. So alcohol, homebrew, and imported alcohol were the biggest problems for substance abuses. And so there were, there were those reasons. There were other reasons. Uh, sickness would be, uh, a, a serious sickness in the family would be reason for, uh, I, I want to be a prayer. I, wanna, I want prayer, and I want to be a prayer. I want to give my life to the Lord. There'd be other reasons. So all that to say that through the years, there'd be a lots of trying Jesus and see if it works. See if it makes a difference, because a lot of other things didn't work. So, uh, fast forward to a, a point in time when a, a lady, a, a mother, a, a mature mother, came to me and said, "I want to pray. Help me. I want to pray. I want to be a. I want to be a Christian." And I don't know where it came from. But I talked with her a little bit, and then I said, you come see me tomorrow if you still want to do this tomorrow. Uh, you think about it, and, and if, you want to, if you want to talk about it again, you come see me tomorrow. I didn't say, I'll come see you tomorrow and see if you want to do it. I said, you come see me. But... That wasn't the end of the story for me. I went home that night. I went, that later that night, I was just thinking, what did I do in, in the theology and soteriology that I had absorbed? I, I, had this, I had this basic understanding from childhood that if someone hasn't prayed the sinner's prayer or, and if someone hasn't made that, reached that decision point, and they died, they're hopelessly lost. And I struggled with that that evening, because the rate of death in that community has been very high. Um, 
tragic deaths, suicides, and all kinds of things that take life just instant, or quickly and without warning. And I don't, I don't claim that God just met with me and explained everything to me that night. So that's not my claim. But my soteriology took a, a, a pretty good turn that night because of my thoughts and interaction with the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you a little bit about that, and you can, you can judge it. But God began, or somehow, I began to think about the point of faith in contrast to a point of decision. And thinking about some of the scriptures and thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit, I began to see the point of faith as somewhat like getting pregnant. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit to plant a seed. And it's a lot like getting pregnant. I know a lot of you don't have experience with that yet. And that's maybe a good thing, probably a good thing. But I'll tell you a little bit about it from, a, from a, a, an older person's point of view. When there's a lot of healthy interaction in a marriage, you're not always sure when that happens. Surprise? That's the truth. Not always sure when someone gets pregnant. And the same thing is true, I believe, when the Holy Spirit plants a seed of faith, whether it's a small child, whether it's a person of any age. We don't always know that. And somehow that evening, well, I'll continue on with this analogy just a little bit, and our time hasn't started yet, in case I'm still doing the introduction, by the way. But uh, this, this seed of faith, I, I had a rest that evening about her condition in, in this way, that if she is caring for that seed of faith. She's okay. If she has, in fact, been impregnated by the Holy Spirit with that seed of faith, and she is caring for it and not seeking to reject it, abort it, or starve it, she's fine until tomorrow. You know what's interesting? I, I told this story to someone just recently, and they said, did she come back? You know what? I don't even remember. That, that evening's thing, and well, here's the thing. I know that her life with Jesus did not continue. If she did come back, I don't, I don't remember, but unfortunately, to this day, she is not a committed follower of Jesus, and I don't take blame for that. I don't remember what happened, but, but let's, let's keep on with that idea. In, it, what I learned from that and what I began to practice, I began to practice that way of responding to people's inquiries and their interest in a, on a regular basis. I began to, to help people think a lot more deeply about the 
the process of, of receiving the gift of faith and caring for it, providing a safe and, and, and a, a place where that faith can flourish, a place where that embryo can grow, where the umbilical cord never gets twisted, or if it does, you quickly fix the problem, where, where every effort is made to care for that, to protect it, to see it grow. There will be decisions. There will be crisis points along the way. But I have long been much more a proponent of and much more invested in, in caring and nurturing faith than I am a decision point. I believe that the Holy Spirit and life brings people to decision points and to crises. And maybe there are times when we need to just kind of poke somebody and say, it's time for you to choose one way or the other. I'm not against that. I'm talking about, I don't know what's going on. Anyway, I sort of do. Um, that's one of the disadvantages here, but bear with me. Um, the and, and let me just let me just in, in sort of parenthetical way encourage you to think about this in, in especially in terms of child evangelism. I have I've been appalled and deeply disturbed at the way I've heard people talk to children about eternity in hell i have i i i am i can't tell you well i just i think that's a different gospel than than what the apostles and and jesus taught to use a threat of something we don't understand very well on a, a child that whose faith ought to be encouraged and protected, who's obviously responding to God already because of that seed of faith and showing interest. And we can see, we, we see evidence that, that that child has already had a seed of faith planted. And I just encourage you to think about this. Encourage, bless, feed, affirm the growth of that faith and and let the decision points sort of come up where where the holy spirit feels where the holy spirit prompts and makes that possible so this is not the answer to every situation i put it out there for you to think about in the ways that we uh the ways that we present the gospel way that we think about decision points this idea of decision points being the ultimate focus and our North American push toward efficiency and, and expediency and urgency has caused us to come up with all kinds of methods like the 60-second gospel, there's a 60-second gospel, there's a 30-second gospel, there's a 20-second gospel. I just, my, one of my daughters just told me about a couple who came to visit them just the other day, and they're all excited because they've got a 20-second gospel presentation. 
And I don't know what you think about that. Please don't, please don't think I'm picking you out if you have been inspired by that. But I, that, that is not the gospel that I've come to love and to appreciate. And I'm going to hurry up and keep going so that I show you a little bit more of what, what, that is, what I believe this is. So first of all, if we can't do it in 60 seconds, and I say we can't, maybe we can start the topic. But I don't know if you ever saw any of these videos uh, 10 or 20 years ago sometime. Somebody in California, the name I won't use, made a practice of, of producing short video clips of his encounters with people on the beach and on the streets in Southern California. And what was being illustrated and what people were being, what we were hopefully being equipped to do is how to back people into a corner with logic so that there's no other conclusion other than that they're guilty of sin. That's, and that's where the videos basically ended. You're guilty of sin before God, and there's no argument about that. And I, I, I just, I submit to you that that's, that's sad. That's not the way the scriptures model our telling the good news. The way Peter started out on the day of Pentecost, who is this Christ, the Messiah? Uh, this is Jesus who is crucified as both Lord and Christ. This Jesus conquered death by death. He tasted death for every human. He broke the power and sting of death by his resurrection from the grave. This served also to break the power of the rulers, the world of sin, of darkness, and all that is in opposition to God. Are you familiar with the book of Colossians? This book, I know you are to some degree, but I can't tell you how much, it's hard for me to tell you how much I appreciate how, how, how what we can learn from the book of Colossians about the essence of who Jesus is and how it impacts us in contrast to just avoiding a threat or avoiding calamity. Oh, listen, I, I know I don't have time to read all of this, but I'm going to. And so from the day we, it, what I want you to hear is all the components in here. And they're not in a sequential order that just make perfect sense in, in this, is, this happened first, this happens next. You can't do that with this, really. But you can... It gets it all. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share 
in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And for some reason, that's the only verse I thought really mattered in this whole thing. But back to the whole story, the whole thing, there's a lot more that matters. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of his body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I don't know how attractive that sounds to people, but, man, oh man, that's, that's, is just an astounding bucket full of amazing stuff. And all of it is in there. All of the things that, that, we, that we long for, all of the things that we really need, all the, everything about who Jesus is. And there's not the slightest need to put into that a threat. It's not based on a threat. It's, it's ba- I mean, the judgment is real, but it's not, it's not based on a threat. It's based on who Jesus is. It's based on a cosmic salvation that reaches me as an individual, reaches you. It's a cosmic salvation that reaches us. We're saved and delivered from this world and its systems. We're saved now. It's present. We're saved and delivered from the dominion of darkness. That's now. We're saved and delivered from condemnation. That's also now. And it's a reconciliation. It's a word that I didn't get accustomed to for a long time. Even though the scriptures, Paul says in in Corinthians, we've been His intent is to reconcile all things to himself, and he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That didn't mean a lot to me for many years. It means a lot more to me now. So it's also a a cosmic reconciliation that includes me. We're not only delivered from darkness, we're transferred into the kingdom of light. Lay that out before people. Lay that out before a person feeling distressed. It's not a magic bullet. It's not a magic message. This is not, the, this is not a method that's suddenly going to bring converts by the thousands. That's not the point. 
as far as I'm, I mean, sure, it's a desire, but the point of changing our message and expanding our message is to make it more accurate, to make it more, more in line with what God's plan is through passages like what I read to you. We receive the Holy Spirit, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, as a deposit of an internal inheritance. And here's something that, that some of the people I've worked with have considered completely optional. That humans become one with Christ. That part is often not even emphasized or held out as a possibility, much less the second part, that we become one with Christ by being baptized into his body. That's the language of Scripture. And no matter what you think the function of baptism is, whether, whether you exclude this from water baptism or whether you make, think it's synonymous or that it's part of the package of water baptism, I know that's sort of debatable among some, but we become, Paul is clear in other passages, we become one with Christ when we are baptized into his body. And it says over and over that his body is the church. We become one with Christ in his suffering, in his death, in his resurrection. And more of the story, there's perfectly fulfilled justice. Rewards and punishment to every person according to their deeds. There's a reset, not now. These are some of the things we're, that, that are still to be fulfilled. There's a reset of all injustices to perfect righteousness. You know, one of the things I had to get over as another thing I absorbed from childhood is that after the day of judgment, I just basically assumed that it's like a retirement home where nobody gets sick and dies anymore. That's what, that's what is, that's all there is. The story's over after the day of judgment. The story basically ends with the day of judgment. And from then on, we sit around like this in a retirement home, and, but at least we're not getting old, at least we're not sick, at least we're not crying, at least we're, at least we're happy. I have very different ideas about the new heaven and the new earth now than I did when I was a kid or even in early ministry life. And the busyness of the new kingdom. Read parts of Revelation and the kings and the nations go in and out of the gates and the gates are open and things are happening. Things are going on. I don't know how to interpret all of that. But it, it sure doesn't sound like a nursing home to me. And... So maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe it's more like that than I think. But I doubt it. And there's vengeance for which oppressed people and abused people have cried out throughout the history of the world. I believe that's part of the gospel. There's, there's vengeance for the, for the oppressed and the suffering. And it's, it's, it's real. And once again, there's perfect judgment on a national level. The kings of the earth 
the nations are going to get what they deserve. I don't understand all that. I don't understand, like in my previous eschatology and the things I understood as a kid, nations didn't exist anymore in the next existence. And I know there's different explanations for all of that. But it sounds like there's nations. It sounds like there's people in charge of things. It sounds like there's activity. It sounds like there's stuff to do. And I think you'll be glad to be there. And I think our neighbors will be glad to be there if they understand this stuff. Instead of just having a simplistic idea like my atheist friends do, that all we say is, if you didn't pray the sinner's prayer, you're going to suffer forever, just like Hitler, unless you, even if all you ever did was steal a cookie. I just don't think that's a good message. And I know that that doesn't explain all the realities of the justice of God. And when I stand before him and he explains to me that I totally misunderstand, and it is more like that, I'll say, praise God, I just didn't know. I didn't understand. But I'm telling you that I believe the scripture leads us to think about some of that differently and to think about the gospel differently and to expand the message and to get out of the idea that we can do this in 60 seconds, to get out of the idea that all we want is a decision, that the decision point is the key pivotal thing. I don't think that's exactly it because there are many decision points. And so, again, I'm going to quit because now I think I really have used up my time. And if you want to discuss more and have, uh, yeah, if you have more questions or more discussion, uh, I'm, I'm available to sit and talk about that here if you want to keep going. If you don't, go play soccer in the dark or do whatever you want to do. And uh, thanks for being here tonight. God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.